All right, because there's a crowd, I'm here today once again, as always, in the Blockhouse with Kelly. Another week gone. Kelly, how's it going with you? It's dark. Yeah. Another week just slipped from our grasp. We're just here. So we slowly descend towards death. And here we are. (laughs) It's another week. Another week in the books. Uh, We spent it listening to music Mm -hmm. and other stuff. You're doing fine? Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing fine too. That's great. This is, uh, in case you didn't know, a Bob Dylan podcast. We we listen to Bob Dylan songs. We pick them at random, and then we listen to them in another week that goes by in our time on Earth. This week, we listen to a, an okay one. This is an okay episode. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the jersey number worn by Chad Ochocinco. Hey, isn't it like 88? 80-something? 80 in an episode where we're going to talk about Spanish. Ochocinco. Oh, 85. And this week, we listen to Spanish is the Loving Tongue. Oh, shit. I hate myself. Spanish is the Loving Tongue. Soft as music, light as spray. Was a girl I learned it from living down Sonora way. All right, Kelly, we listen to Spanish is the Loving Tongue off of, you know, no album, but has been on a lot of stuff. It's kind of weird. It's kind of embedded in Bob Dylan's mind from 1967 to 1973, 74. He played it multiple times. Hmm. However, we'll get into the context as we talk about the versions we listen to. But he only played the song one time live. Oh. Um, the, the second leg of the Rolling Thunder review uh, in San Antonio, Texas on May 11th, 1976. He opened the show with that. Usually he opened up those, the first run, with when I paid my masterpiece for all of them. But then he opened with this. Who knows why? I don't know why. And he just woke up thinking about it that day and he's like, fuck it. In Texas. I don't know. I do what I want. Do what I want and Bob Dylan, whatever. Before we get into the song, I just wanted to throw some Spanish facts at you. And before I throw these Spanish facts at you, I want to know what your relationship is to Spanish. I don't know if I've ever asked Uh, this question. I don't know. I, we growing up in America, I think that you're exposed to Spanish, um, even just through something as like simple as food, you know, like, We fucking love some oh, Mexican food we do. Yeah, as a culture, totes, totes. as we should. Yes. Um, so you're like, even without thinking about it, you're exposed to food words, right? That's right. something. Um, but growing up in South Florida, since there's such a huge Cuban influence, we had Spanish as part of our in elementary school curriculum. Yeah. Like I definitely distinctly remember uh, in fourth and fifth grade, like learning the alphabet. And um, we'd have little cultural days where our teacher would bring in food and stuff. And she was Cuban herself. So yeah. like. Uh, definitely exposed to Spanish at a young age. My dad owned his own business. He had a couple of guys that worked for him that were Cuban. So like he knew a little bit of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that's the way, I guess if you live in the Midwest, maybe, or I don't know, I think that I mean, no, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Which I think is great. Like yeah. we Americans by and large are uh, not multilingual no. and I, it's sad because a lot of other countries really are like, yeah. especially we put the onus on other countries to learn English first and foremost. I think that really stunts us because we don't have to. I mean, I, I traveled for 60 months and I didn't have to learn another language. I True. mean, the most I tried to learn was Italian because they're like, kind of fuck you. No, we're not going <laughs> to. We won't serve you food unless you Which, ask. Yeah. 
You got to say it in Italian. In Italian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess that's my really only experience is just through sure. passive getting the knowledge through yeah. being an American, I guess. That's fair. Didn't take any classes no, I took on. French in high school oh. and then Japanese in college. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's right. You do yeah. like Japanese. Not Spanish. But I always regretted it, honestly, because yeah. it would serve me better being in America, being able to speak with more Americans yeah. if I learned Spanish. So. That's true. Yeah. So I, that I, I definitely feel bad about that. But you, yeah. Well, I took Spanish, yeah, two years in high school and I got bored. I didn't like my teachers. Then I went to go learn Latin, which will come up later in this episode mm. as well. But Latin was fun because they made it into a storybook. So we were reading about this nice family and their kids and their business and their life. But it turns out that the whole setting was in Pompeii right before the volcano went off. The end what of the workbook the was Pompeii and death. Everyone died. So I was like, I got to sign up for season two. So <laughs> season two. So then as a senior, class. as a senior, I was like, I didn't have to take a foreign language. You only needed three. Uh, like two of and then just one and I was like I want to take that Latin that's fucking incredible and then after that it was kind of a letdown but it was basically the son survived and then he was like I don't know it's like I can't remember what he was doing but he was like arranging funeral shit and like all this like really dark morbid stuff but like still teaching you like language things like, I mean how do you come back from I mean that's a finale friend that's a finale I know I know so act two was not as great but no I went then I went to college and I learned I did Spanish and that opened me up to like Latin American literature and, you know, re- trying to read books in Spanish was, uh, I, I don't think I've ever, I've never fully read a book, but it's fun to like sit there. You know, I've got two Bolaño books, right? That's sitting right over there. I was going to say your dude, Roberto Bolaño. Yeah. And so one of those are in, in Spanish. And the first one I tried to read was in Spanish and I don't know enough. I had a good vocabulary, but I was never good at conjugation. And now I'm like deep in Duolingo world now. And it's fun. It's really, it's cool how much you retain. Because I, I went to Mexico, and, you know, between me and my girlfriend, we were both like proficient enough to take a bus down to the DF, down to Mexico City, and then go to Guadalajara. And like, it was not a thing. It was interesting to be able to speak Spanish competently enough and like to make it through. Because I mean, they're more amenable, obviously. It's not a Italy or whatever where sure. everyone's rude. <laughs> but like, you know, you try, you try to do your best. And I think you, depending on where you live, you can definitely be enmeshed in culture more if you want to in America. You oh, sure. can. There are definitely pockets. I mean, there's pockets. actually a huge population of Spanish speakers. I think most of them are Mexican here. Yeah. They're like, there's a Mexican grocery store on every block here in Beaverton. Well, yeah. And in, in, in different places, I mean, obviously Los Angeles is huge, but like in Virginia, for, for me, Northern Virginia, um, El Salvador, I mean, we had a civil war going on there that we funded the right wing, you know, military. So all these people, a million people left the tiny little nation of El Salvador and they came to America in the Mm. 1980s and a huge population is in Northern Virginia. So I went to school with a ton of kids from El Salvador, parents or kids of parents who fled violence that, you know, the U S has inflicted upon the world. And yeah, yeah, so that's, you know, it's, it's crazy. It just happens, you know, and obviously it's like still a buzz word it's still fucking build a wall it's still being afraid of other people and unfortunately we're still in that fucking mindset when latino people have been here forever like have been here yeah looking at you florida wouldn't exist ever yeah exactly so it's just it's kind of it's kind of crazy to me well but they're spanish anyway sorry 
Right. Right. And so that's where it gets kind of crazy because in reality, it's all, everything's been mixed up. Yeah. Like there is no pure Spanish, per, none of that even exists. And what is pure? You know, you start talking about blood and then we're done. We're done. <laughs> we're out of here. There's no such thing. Remember as the line is always Nazis. Once you start talking about eugenics, yes. or even exactly. inching toward it, maybe you should stop and reassess. Correct. Correct. So we're going to pivot hard to Spanish facts. <laughs> Did you know, Kelly, that there's 400 million Spanish speakers in the world? Estimates right now are about 437 million people, hmm. uh, which makes it the number three language on the planet. I mean, Mandarin is ginormous. Yeah, and, sense. you know, India speaks a lot of English, too. So it's like English is clearly sure. number two as well. Uh, 21 countries have it as their official language, but 44, 44 countries have at least three million speakers, which is kind of crazy because some countries are even smaller than three million but have sizable Spanish populations. But if you're going to draw a line somewhere, um, it's pretty nuts. You know, that's 60 countries out of 165, you know, yeah. uh, with at least 3 million people in there speaking Spanish. There's two main types of Spanish. You probably know this. Espanol, regular Spanish. I mean, regular to me. Uh, Western hemispheric Spanish, if you will. And Castellano, which is the one. Spain Spanish, in right? Spain. Right. Yeah. So we learned that in school. We lo- learned vosotros and all of that. But get up on that Duolingo. They're just like, fuck it. We ain't doing vosotros. Two is fine. Informal two. <laughs> I'm all about that. Uh, did you know that when you translate Spanish to English, your text is likely to expand by 15 to 25%? Wow. Because they don't have idioms like we have. The one I was reading was like, um, it takes about seven or eight words to explain clockwise. The word clockwise for us. Hmm. We can. We just made up the word clockwise for this thing that the, the the numbers the hand does right turning backward on a clock but they explain it so if you were ever to sit down with english it's going to expand automatically because you need more words to describe what's going on but in that way it's more poetic in a sense because um, a lot of times people will say you know you, you think you love latin american literature or love spanish literature but if you ever learn to read it in the tongue that's what's up hmm. um, because it's just so much more beautiful and spanish is really interesting because like english and i assume like mandarin being so powerful language wise as they are uh they they're they have deep roots i mean spanish comes from latin origins huge arabic influence and it's absorbed tons of languages not only other romance languages but also english you know using a lot of the idioms that we have um quechua um Nahuatl, and other indigenous languages in in the americas also took their words and incorporated it seamlessly into spanish so it's another it's a language that didn't um cut people out but accepted people in so spanish is the loving tongue it's kind of gross when you yeah. think about tongues and, yeah. and stuff like that but we talk about romance languages i think that's a term that we just say do you know what a romance language is? Do you know what the romance languages are? French, Spanish, Italian, ones that are heavily based in Latin, I would assume. Latin, okay. Did you always think that or did you just think it was... See, for me, I always thought when I first heard romance languages, I thought that they it's because they were pretty and because the people were pretty and oh, were rom- well, that's like nice. romantics. No, I mean, I think I learned that young, if that is correct. Yeah. I, I, I don't know where I picked that oh, up from. Oh, it's totally I've definitely correct. definitely known it for a long time. Yeah, they origi- it originates in Latin. So yeah. as the, uh, the Western Roman Empire fell... In the fifth and sixth centuries, the languages just diverged. So the big, the big strands, and there are kind of subsections, but it is yeah, French, it is Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, and Romanian. No shit. I know. So those are the five major ones. Huh. And then, Romanian's but, and it, weird because that's Romania. like Balkans. You think so? But it's Romania was right there again. Huh. This is because Greek took over the eastern portion of the the empire at that time they had split between the west and the eastern roman right uh, and and the, the eastern roman empire continued on into 
Byzantine time and just keep kept going. And that was heavily Greek influenced. So that language diverged that way. Whereas the Italian peninsula and outward, you know, that's where Rome okay. was. Once that fell, these languages started um, getting cut up. Uh, Spanish is out of all the romance languages, 47% of romance speakers speak Spanish. 26% speak Port- Portuguese. Only 11% speaks French. Hmm. 9% Italian and 4% Romanian. It's not. It's 47% in Spanish. Like, yeah. wow. I mean, there's a... Latin America is huge. South America is huge. Know. You know, and then, like, Spain's such a small part of it, actually, in the scheme of things. It's true, because even, like, French and even... Oh, I mean, I guess English got, you know, the, the colonies over here. Mm. But, like, yeah, France, it's like all of their colonial stuff was very close. They didn't... They did come over here, but they didn't have the same mindset of like, taking that foothold in Canada. They tried with Louisiana. They Well, they did. <laughs> they were there, but they never... They didn't try to fucking, like homogenize everything like they wanted to insert themselves in that was their whole scheme and that's why i think that number is the way it is that's why english and spanish are so big because when when they came in they wanted them to speak the language like they strictly wanted it to be that way and that's why you sort of yeah take take it all over i mean it's an easy way to force culture language absolutely so and that gets us to the next point so i mean the the romance cultures are, are interesting it comes from the latin adverb Romis, which means in Roman. Uh, so the expression Romis loqui, to speak Roman, uh, you can contrast that with something like Latin loqui, which is to speak Latin, uh, and then Barbaris loqui, which is to speak barbarian. Right, because everything else sounds it's, like bar, 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 Well, bar. exactly, and everything yeah. else outside of the Roman Empire. So that's where that ro- romance, Romis, comes from. Uh, in the medieval world, Latin was for serious scholars, but when the printing press was created and people were reading more for entertainment purposes, those entertaining novels, those courtly love, you know, the, the first things people want to write about, the um, the uplifting stories, the, the romantic the stories. Right. Well, th- that's where the romance came from because Romis in Roman is the common tongue. So what we think of as romance books, which are going to be to get you off or whatever. Daniel Steele. Exactly. The romance <laughs> actually just means in, in the Roman tongue, in the mm. common tongue. So it's not high Latin, if you will, but it's just for the common people. But it's been obviously over the years moved over to, to romance being that. And what's interesting, as we said about, you know, hegemony is that there's no surprise that the first uh, work dedicated to Spanish in the, in its rules was published in 1492 uh, in the introduction to the grammar portion of the book, uh, which was dated August 18th, 1492, the author wrote, quote, language was always the companion of empire. Christopher Columbus had set sail three weeks before on mm-hmm. August 3rd. Um, and then Miguel Cervantes. Um, a lot of people consider him the purveyor of of the popularity of Spanish across the world. That's the Don Quixote guy, right? Don Quixote. So um, he, he, Spanish, it's not just known as... Um, as Spanish, it's often called La Lingua de Cervantes, the language of Cervantes. Oh, shit. made it popular. George Washington had a prized copy of Don Quixote at, at Mount Vernon. Thomas Jefferson took this when he became ambassador to France. He w- was going to take it on his voyage uh, on the way to Europe for the first time um, because he thought, I should learn another language. He knew how to speak Greek and, and Latin and all of that. But he was like, I want to learn this Spanish. How do I learn Spanish? Let me just pick up Don Quixote. Like, that's nuts to be how like, you, what? I'm just going to learn a language by reading Don Quixote. So he took Don Quixote. I don't think he ever learned Spanish. Because, Thomas, that's not a way to learn a language. No, you can't you... just pick up. I could just pick up that book and I'm just going to learn. Come you on. just stare at the pages. What the? 
but he also spoke French. So I, there's, I think, a little oh, bit of that, that. There's a lot of cognates between exactly French, Spanish. But he chose Don Quixote. And then I was just reading a book right now about James Madison. And there's a line in here, James Monroe, the fourth president. Um, he was an ambassador to France, just like Jefferson. But he was Jefferson's ambassador to France when he was president. And he got into a diplomatic thing or whatever. And I think Madison or Jefferson offered him to be governor of Louisiana in 1806 which is a job that Meriwether Lewis would have once he got back from uh, their trek. <laughs> but he, but uh, Monroe said he didn't want it and referenced Don Quixote. Sancho Panza in the, in the book is given, uh, all he wants to do is, is to be a governor of an island. Hmm. And so in the fictional world, if you will, these two goofballs give, give Sancho Panza this fake island, this fictional island uh, called Barataria. And uh, barato in Spanish is cheap. Um, so he gives them this fake island. So essentially Monroe is saying, you giving me this governorship is like me being Sancho Panza <laughs> nice. o- ruling over this fake island or whatever. I don't want it. The so fake I'm island like, of Louisiana. So it's crazy to me that like it's just a cultural thing. It's just like, I mean, the founding fathers are just sitting here like quoting fucking Don Quixote. I mean, it's okay. crazy to me. That book still surprises the shit out of me. But anyways, as time went on, Kelly, we grew more connected. And Spanish took on a different flavor, which brings us to the song itself, oh, wow. sort of. Forgot what we were doing. I know we're just <laughs> we're just learning Spanish facts. Hopefully, yeah. is that a good segment for a learning. Bob Dylan podcast? Learning's great. Learning's great. Well, what do you want to know about Charles Badger Clark? Who he is in a border affair? Oh, that's where Spanish's loving tongue came from. Charles a poem Badger Clark called a border affair. A border affair, hmm. exactly. Charles Badger Clark is a cowboy poet. Ooh. The American West. He grew up in South Dakota. He was born in Iowa, <laughs> but he grew up in South Dakota. His, his dad was a Methodist preacher uh, who preached all across the state. Here on Mitchell, where you can go see the famous Corn Palace, uh, Deadwood, Hot Springs in the Black Hills. Uh, he actually traveled to Cuba. He went to college and it didn't really work out for him. So he traveled to Cuba and then he came back to Deadwood and then he got tuberculosis. So then he went to Tombstone, Arizona to feel better. He felt better, came back to South Dakota, got tuberculosis. Oh, my God. So then he moved to the, into the Black Hills. And actually, you can go visit his cabin today still in Custer State Park. Um, but he lived in a cabin for 30 years and wrote poetry. Hmm. Um, he called he called his uh, his cabin the Badger Hole. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> no. Not great. No. And Spanish is a Loving Tongue is uh, a song. Uh, it was set to music in 1925 by Billy Simon, but it was a border affair was written in 1907. Mm. Um, and it was and he's known for his realistic approach to um, to lovers like it, there's no Don like it's interesting to think of Spanish as the Loving Tongue. He's not a Don Juan character. He's not like a romantic as a job title. I mean, he says in the poem that I'm not a lover. Um, I'm just a guy. And that was something that was kind of unique at the time because um, people didn't have normal characters, if you will, saying those types of things and kind of popular. Because I'm not the hero. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's a lot of that, too. So we're going to kind of contrast the poem with what's going on here. A lot of the lines are are in there, so it's not a lot different. It's kind of just I think the poem itself is just way more straightforward. And obviously, like anything, the original version is always going to kind of be better than all of the knockoffs. Spanish is the loving tongue 
soft as springtime, light as spray. There was a girl I learned it from, living down Sonora Way. Now I don't look much like a lover, yet I say her love words over, late at night when I'm all alone. Mi amor, mi corazón. There were nights I would ride, she would listen for my spurs, fling that big door open wide, raise those laughing eyes of hers, and how those hours would get to flying, pretty soon I'd hear her crying, please don't leave me all alone, mi amor, mi corazón. Then one night I had to fly, I got into a selfish gambling fight. I had a swift goodbye in that black, unlucky night. And traveling north, her words kept ringing, and every word I could hear her singing. Please don't leave me all alone, mi amor, mi corazón. Well, I ain't ever seen her since that night. I can't cross the line now. She was Mexican and I was white. Like as not, it's better so. And yet I've always sort of missed her. Since the last wild night I kissed her, I left her heart, but I lost my own. Mi amor, mi corazón. But we listened to a couple different versions. There's some we didn't actually listen to, mainly because I'm a bit fatigued on listening to 25 versions of a song. So sure. this week, we, we focused solely on what was on Spotify. We listened to the 1973 Dylan version which bob dylan did not want released and we'll talk about dylan some other day and we listened to the version on another self-portrait volume 10 uh so we're gonna talk about those two but you can also if you have the bootleg series volume 11 he did record this during the basement tape session um so with the band playing it's just kind of a pure acoustic acoustic version kind of what you would expect from the basement tapes so you can go listen to that and also on more blood more tracks volume 14 he played it in 1973 while he was doing all of his um you know, stuff for blood on the tracks. He also just sort of stopped and played this song. So mm. of all the songs in Bob Dylan's repertoires, this is an interesting one because it does stick around for so long, consistently coming back to it. Even though he's not playing it live, he's always thinking about it, which is kind of crazy. So I want to talk about both of them. Uh, the, the two that we listened to, one of them was recorded in 69. That was the Dylan one. The other was recorded in 1970. That was the piano one. I should ask you which version you like better, but I think I know the answer. The piano one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the piano one's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. We might have, but I can't think of any songs on the top of my head that it's just him and a piano, him and a guitar. We've had multiple times. Ring but, the bells. Was there a version with, I feel like there's like light drums in that, like at no least the drums, studio version. But there was other stuff going on. Yeah. But there is the, but I think the outtake one on the bootleg series volume eight okay. is just him and the piano. Well, but I mean, that was episode 17. As I say the words, I don't think we've had one with him and just him and a piano. I'm like, I've said those words before. Yeah. So, no, but you're not wrong. That's few and far between though. We can yeah. really safely say that. I mean, and the piano is beautiful and I really like his voice. I don't Me know too. if you noticed, but uh, I don't know the technical term because I don't know stuff, but there's like a fuzz in the mic as if they have the mic turned up way too high mm. while he's recording. Um, and the fuzz is there consistently, except during the first verse or so they, in an effort afterwards while they were editing, they ch ch shut it off completely. Like they just cut the vocal track during some of the piano parts. Really? And it's really jarring. Like oh, I didn't even really cool. notice that the fuzz was there until they cut it 
in post. Oh, I didn't. Even they didn't do it for the rest of the song. But there's definitely th- like three separate instances where he just like you hear nothing. Like, the yeah. fuzz goes away and it's just the piano. So, like, it's like turning off. His, yeah, his mic. It's like ah, shit, that was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen her since that night I can't cross the line you know They want me for a gambling fight Like as not, it's better so I think it's really beautiful. The yeah. the one that's on uh, another self portrait. Right. Um, yeah. And it was also a B side to a song that we have covered before watching the river flow. So in 1971, you could go out into the record store and buy watching the river flow. And then on the, on the other side, you've yeah. got, um, you got this, this little ditty, I which I think is, is a pretty, pretty great. I like the song better. Uh, yeah, totally. And they they weren't recorded at the same time. Yeah. So that was just plucked out of nowhere. So uh, just to pop on to this. Just to sail a couple of records. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, no, I think it's beautiful. It's like a classic, like grand piano style, mm-hmm. like just just feels timeless sort of thing. But it's also really loose. I don't know. I just like the way it like flows down. He just does that really well. Mm-hmm. Whereas just cascade of, of words. I also like. They are different, the two versions, that and Dylan lyrically. Um, the, they the cut out a verse, whole verse. The whole verse is gone, mm-hmm. which to its detriment, I got to say. Like, oh, for sure. I mean, the that Dylan version is garbage. I call it the Nashville Skyline version. N- no. That's <laughs> well, I mean, it's got voice, the voice. Because he's doing the thing. I mean, it was recorded in Nashville so uh, and on, on April 24th, 1969. Kenny Buttry is on drums, so that is, you know, we talked about Kenny a million times. Um, Elof Olstrom, if you guys go to dylancords.com or .org or want to just type it into Google, uh, you probably know the website if you've ever tried to play Bob Dylan yeah. chords. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a little snippet, you know, usually he doesn't uh, um, editorialize, if you will, um, but... I liked it because he said, quote, uh, this is a, quote, contender to the title of Dylan's most tasteless arrangement. Nice. Damn. Nice. Damn. And uh, and I, I agree. It's so jarring and bad. And well, so the first verse, which is aside from the little backup singers, which we could definitely do without, is yes. is great. It's a, actually pretty incredible. The song is only, what is it, like four minutes, 16 seconds long. And they managed to stretch out the first verse and chorus for a minute and oh. 46 seconds. Amazing. And then the rest of it, it just turns into a Jimmy Buffett song. So it starts off fine yeah. with a little bit of Spanish guitar where you just have the piano. That's it. It's like we've got the... And then it turns into... Quick cut to tango piano, hard tango piano, overemphasized Spanish guitars, fucking background singers, Jimmy Buffett sing along. Like it's <laughs> contrasting the two. I think the the piano only version um, yeah. really does a good job of telling you uh, that this is a song about like it tells you the setting through the lyrics. You have to pay attention to the song to know right. what we're talking about. We're talking about so clearly so like a love story across the, a border. Well, there is actually a song. Yeah, there is actually and what they did instead where they're like you know what if we just cut the story and then have like spanishy guitars and a tango piano then you'll know it's spanishy <laughs> you know what it's i mean true. you have to hit them over yeah. the head with so it. i was like that's rough guys yeah just a piano version without having to emphasize the cultural flavor quote unquote mm-hmm. of whatever you know lyrical title you have yeah is much there's more integrity in that i think so than uh than dylan and for what it's worth dylan would say 
I didn't fucking put that shit out. I disown that record, and mm. it's not a thing. And I get it. I get it. Because it was like a weird compilation that Columbia put together. They just put yeah. I, he went to for one record for Planet Waves. He went to um, David Geffen Geffen Records mm. uh, for that and for um, before the f- after the before the flood before the flood uh, with the band the live record with the band. He left to go to Geffen, and Columbia was like. We made you a star. We'll put out whatever we want to do. And they just like put that dribble out. And so <laughs> Columbia really did it wrong because if they wanted to get it at him, they could have just taken some old stuff, like some old good stuff, Seven Curses. That and, nobody ever heard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All, and just fucking screw over. That would have been a like way that. better move. Yeah. But I don't know if people were thinking like that. And I think they always thought he would come back. And sure enough, he did. So. Yeah. But anyways, that being said, uh, yeah, it's it's really bad. And I think even some of like the lyrical lines are really dumbed down. Like you could have just taken um, Badger's original poem and played it straight. I mean, a lot of the lines in the, in the good piano version are like that, but in this one, there's lines like, well, I don't look much like a lover till I say her love words over till I say her love words over. What the fuck does that mean? Oh, I had a hard time with the lyrics, finding the lyrics for this too, because BobDylan.com don't exist. And then the ones that come up on Google are the Dylan 1973 version. Right. And so I, I made my little booklet and I was like, I'm missing an entire fucking verse. What, 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 what? And the words were different. And I was like, yeah. oh, son of a bitch. Absolutely. It's bad. Yeah. Also, when he says adios mi corazon, I think like that's a very flippant way to say by heart. Yeah, it doesn't have the same punch at all. Like, that's what you say before you tuck into a greasy bacon <laughs> right. cheeseburger. Like, goodbye, you know? Bayorda. Goodbye, Art. <laughs> so that was kind of bad. Yeah, the middle verse, uh, you know, that is in the piano, but not in the 73 version, which is probably where most people are just inherently going to go to because the record's called Dylan. Sure. And we're so far away from it now that people probably, while they're like getting to know it, probably pop this on and are like this is questionable but the middle verse i really like because it's um on the nights that i would ride she would listen for my spurs throw that big door wide open raise those laughing eyes of hers oh how the hours would go a flying i don't like this part oh how the hours would go a flying all too soon i would hear her sighing in her sweet and quiet tone mi amor mi corazon uh, still, we're learning more about the girl. Yeah, it's nice. There was another verse from, I assume, the 1976 live version mm. uh, on Rolling Thunder uh, that's noted on um, on DylanCords.org um, that goes like this. It says, "Moonlight on the patio, old Sonora nodding near me and Juana talking low, so the Madre couldn't hear. Oh, how the hours would go a flying, and too soon I'd hear her sighing in her little sorry tone. Adios, mi corazón. We get to learn her name. We get to learn her name. However, I feel like that's the verse that Dylan would sing when he's trying to be mean, because her little sorry tone. Yeah. And you and Juana trying to fuck with mom just right (laughs) over there. It's not good. It's not a good look. I do like uh, in the the last verse the they want me for the gambling fight. It says like as not, it's better so. <laughs> what? But then also I'm like okay, that could be kind of poetic because it's saying in a way it's like even though this is not what you want, it's still the best for me to leave. Like the, the it's mm. for the best if I leave. Yeah, and that's in it's the original the, poem. The so. weirdest like non English way to say it, but but I mean that's old timey. That's nineteen seventy. Yeah. I know that's why that's why I like it. Like yeah. as not, it's better so. Yeah. I like that too. Stick a com- if you stick a comma after like is not, I think that you get what it means immediately. At first I was like, like is not, it's like better is so. Not, it's better so. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, Broke Her Heart, Lost My Own. It's a very sad song. It's mm-hmm. a very sad song. And it's, you know, in this, I, I, I think, again, the praise comes from the realistic depiction of, like, romance, but also the realistic depiction of people in love. Like, there is a border, and these are imagined communities and imagined lines that we all still adhere to. But love transcends those borders. Love, I'm in love with this person. It's just so happens to be that they live across this imaginary line. And, and I, I might have committed a murder and I can't go back there. So those are fun. <laughs> so again, this can get murder Bobby real fast, yeah. uh, which I which I definitely love. And it's got gambling. Come on. Every fucking song now Jesus, has had gambling, gambling or fucking, murder or both. Yeah. Gambling and murder. <laughs> we need to get out of this gambling hole we're in. <laughs> House of the Rising Sun to open the door home. We're like, everything is just gambling. Yeah. Haven't seen, haven't seen her since that night. I can't cross, I can't cross the line, you know. They want me for a gambling fight, like as not, it's better so. I guess we still gamble in 2019. Does this song still work for you? I, I think it can. I think especially, like I've said many times before, and we'll say many times throughout this podcast, if you're sticking with a classic acoustic instrument, like a piano or a guitar, you're not going to date yourself. Yeah. Now, I think the Dylan 73 version does that because that does not sound like something we would necessarily... I mean, maybe. I don't listen to a lot of pop music. Like, I don't know what's hot on the adult contempt charts. You that know what I mean? Hot, you know what I mean? Hot. I don't know. Jimmy Buffett has, a, has still has yeah, fans, you know? know? Like, know, so this could this could really play today. Just not for me. But yeah, I think the, the sentiment of the song, just how like sweet it is, yeah. just the sound, not necessarily, obviously the lyrics are supposed to be a little melancholy, but yeah. I think, sure. Yeah, this is definitely no Boots of Spanish Leather. This is no um, Girl from the North Country that we've had this year by any means. But I think lyrically, it's got that old timiness and it mm-hmm. does have the benefit of being slightly old timey. If we're going to say 1907 is old timey, which I, I would say, sure. Yeah. And because of the South Dakota connection, let's put this in Seven Curses universe of course good oh, be i want marty robbins to sing it where's marty robbins version? you see and and this is something that's been covered and you know looking online at badger um all of his um biographies and stuff everybody mentions that bob dylan recorded oh this yeah song. it's all in his thing which is kind of interesting and kind of fun um that bob dylan is such a cultural cachet and it sucks that the version people would be like oh wow that's cool they would go to dylan and that's right. unfortunate so if we can say anything at this podcast, I would proselytize. Listen to uh, the the version, the piano version from 1970. That's the way to go. Uh, I'll close with Michael Gray. Quote, Spanish is, Spanish is the loving tongue is another Western, a scene that plays like a film set in a place long precious to Dylan, a border town. He loves the spaces in between, places where lines are made and crossed, where unlikely people meet and part. All right, Kelly, we were also people in the world this week. As much as we try not to be. (laughs) As much as we try not to be. We try to just like ball up into a ball. Like a hermit crab. Just just like a hermit crab. Sit on a couch. Just like get all the blankets over top of you (laughs) and hope that time just passes by. But in fact, you have to be a part of it. You got to go to work every single day of the week. Every goddamn day. you You have no breaks and you lose your mind. But you know what can save your sanity? SOTWpod.com. I thought you were going to say, who can save? Well, so <laughs> when it comes to the powers now, 
Uh, yeah, great question. Great question. Only Jewel knows. <laughs> Only Jewel knows. <laughs> SOTWpod.com, as I was saying. And Jewel would recommend, for sure. <laughs> SOTWpod everywhere. Twitter, SoundCloud, Spotify. Just find us. You know. SOTWpod, you got yeah, this. You, you got this. Really not too bad. Um, And if you want to listen to our playlist, our amazing playlist, you have two options to do it. One, you can listen as we change it in real time. By searching, see that my playlist is kept clean on Spotify. Uh, wherever we are, as you are looking at that playlist right now, is where we are in time. So you could be with us in time. You could be against us in time. Ooh, against I know. us. So this is, a, this is a perilous situation for you. And I'll let you sort it out. As for us, though, you can also just go to the website and find, and we'll have a link to um, every single one of our playlists on the page. Yeah, so whatever the name of the episode is, that's the playlist. That's the playlist. Yeah. Speaking of playlists, we also had one this week, and it was long, and it was good. Mm -hmm. A lot of artists that we've already had. Yes. Surprising amount, actually. Mm -hmm. Do you know that his name is not Extension? It's it's like Extinacion? No shit. It is. I'm trying to read, like, figure out who they're talking about. I find out who they're talking about. I the Extension guy. I, yeah, I don't even think that's how you say his name. Before XXX Tentacium, XXX Tentacium of X. Today we're here with XXX Tentacion. Also, Folds is the name of a band. <laughs> I just wanted to be Fouls. Sorry, Max. D'Angelo. Again, all D'Angelo. Protest okay. the Hero. MC Front a Lot. Black Moss Super Rainbow, because yeah. it is. <laughs> that and, uh, and swearing uh, against me uh, they're making their way up uh, for the most on our playlist smoker fire the impressions marvin gay elvis although he was only on our christmas episode mm. surprisingly it wasn't even on went to see the gypsy where we talked all about oh, shit, yeah. elvis rude welcome to the playlist spaz kid yeah white noise which that was a that was a racy cut yeah i didn't really appreciate that so if you're listening to this at work talking to a coworker, and then suddenly there's very very clear sex moans in your ear it's a weird experience and i don't recommend but you still listen to our playlist just be mindful of that direct hits never been on our playlist oh. jackie mclean never been on our playlist and ray charles never been on our playlist until today damn so amazing so if you want to listen to a great playlist head over to spanish not on our Bob. playlist because neither of us did it which i'm surprised spanish bombs we did it for Spanish Boots. I thought we might have. I was yeah. like, we so probably already did it, yeah. Yeah, so I did actually check. made sure I didn't put okay. the same choices good, on. Good. And we will have Spanish Harlem Incident, one of my top five favorite songs. And we will not repeat any of these. So we're going to have to dig deep for that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, although that song does not require a good playlist because it is a great song on its own. <laughs> Kelly, being people in the world and listening to playlists are fine and dandy, but we also listen to more stuff. Or we watched things, or we participated with other people out in the world, whatever. What did you do this <laughs> week? Um, I listened to the Beato, the oh my god, the Budos band just came out with their fifth album titled Five. Um, they went clever. Budos band one, two, three, Scorpion something, and then five. <laughs> uh, it's still fucking great. Just like solid rock music with some like horn section, and everything. They're just if you ever want to get amped to have a fight in a movie. Go listen to Budos, man, because it's just such great, like, pre-Kung Fu fight scene music. We're getting amped, man. Yeah. Uh, and they just played in Portland last month, and I did not go to see them because we were doing too many fucking shows this year. But apparently their shows are great, which I imagine when you don't have vocals, there's no center point. So people are probably just, like, fucking partying, right? Yeah. 
So next time they come through, I'm definitely going to go. It's only like 25 bucks. Does that drive you crazy, though, that it would be one, two, three, Scorpion, and then five? Yeah. It drives me crazy. It's a little weird. It's like restorations, LP1, 2, 3, LP5000. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> and then they'll go back to, and then the next one will be four. Right? Four. Or yeah. Something like yeah. Uh, and then also Kel Chris, uh, who is a rapper, came out with the album Guns at the end of March. Uh, it's really good and powerful. It's The tracks are a little hit and miss for me, but um, Sunday Mass speaks like really starkly about recent mass shootings in America. And uh, there's like, I don't know, I would say at least half the album is really good. It, it kind of hits that um, Tyler, the creator, experimental type rap that I, I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, I would recommend the tracks Guns, Wild Minx, Box of Wheaties, Straight Shot, uh, You, Me, and Anybody Else with uh, Jean Grey, which he actually did his last album in 2018 was like a split with her. And uh, Worm, the last track, they're all they're good. So some of it's not for me, but anyway, check them out, Kelcrest. And then uh, I just watched the very first episode of the Netflix new show Dead to Me with Christina oh. Applegate and Linda Carlini, and it's fucking incredible. I don't know if I've seen the first episode of a TV show so good, so Isn't solid. Like, uh, Golden Age of Television, Daniel, there's too much of it to watch. I was once on the front lines of this battle, and I have stepped off. Because My watch is that. Somehow ended. Out, I don't know. Man. I love TV. I absolutely love it. But I can't finish a fucking show to save my goddamn life. I realized I didn't finish the last episode of fucking Sick Note. I didn't watch the last two episodes of Sick Note. Oh, yeah, I watched that like four months ago and then I like popped into it. I was like, I didn't see these. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. Pulled a great uh, Daniel watches Atlanta and fails. <laughs> oh, yeah. The last episode. Well, I mean, I'm watching the Americans. I'm still. I'm still. Just like one episode at a time every three months. Yeah. And then I'm like, this is the best show on TV. And then forget. Instantly Goodbye. forgot. So I need yeah. to become a better, I need better. I Do TV be better, better at, life, at life. I want to recommend two albums. One is Everybody Loves Bad Religion, Friend of the Pod, on our Christmas playlist and probably forever. I mean, they only have eight, like, eight songs, but they'll be there for the next eight years. So <laughs> that's cool. Uh, but Age of Unreason, first record in since 2012. So. Huh? Always fun to see them back. Uh, still great. And then, of course, Vampire Weekend, yep. Father of the Bride. Uh, you have not... I dipped in a little bit. I, I okay. skipped around the tracks just to hear. And there's certainly a couple that are like uh, vampire, modern vampires in the city, of the city. Um, there's uh-huh. a couple that are like yeah. still in that vein. But most of it's... I don't so know. I would say none of them are. It doesn't sound like that at all. Not weird. So I, I recommend it because... They're, they're an interesting band. I, I don't know. It just depends on where you come into them. Because for me... I read a great article, which I would actually recommend, maybe over Father of the Bride, um, which is how Vampire Weekend became the last mega indie band on The Ringer. Um, and it really goes into great detail, long, long um, article about how, where they came from and where they are now. I remember hearing about them for the first time in 2008, uh, in 2007, 2008, and they were an internet band. They were one of those first internet bands that were on all the covers of the magazines before they ever released a single fucking track. Damn. You know, for us, I would think like Panic at the Disco. They were touring with fucking Fall Out Boy when they never released a record, hmm. you know? So I think there's a level of, I just forget that now because it turns out that they actually did have talent. They were actually good. They did keep pushing their bounds. And eventually Modern Vampires is like, I, I love that record. But I, I was I was soft on them at, at the beginning. I hated them like everybody, every red-blooded American did, you know, <laughs> because they're just taking music from everyone else. And, you know, everybody's like Graceland, Paul Simon. And I'm like, fuck Paul Simon, fuck Graceland. You know, I think it's just where you are in time. And I've come around to them, obviously. I love Modern Vampires. And I really enjoy listening to this. And there's a great 
review of this on Pitchfork, which if it weren't for Pitchfork at the time, especially that that era, they really made or break or broke bands mm. back in the day, and they made them. I mean, their first record was like an eight point eight, um, best new music, and just like with Arcade Fire, like that was huge for them. Um, so there's a great review online that I definitely recommend um, reading. But one tidbit that does actually weirdly reflect our episode that I want to read, and is maybe the best way to go into Father of the Bride, is this. Uh, by Mike Powell, who wrote the review, quote, but Vampire Weekend have never been legible, nor is being legible any better than being a little obscure. More than anything, Father makes me think of something like Bob Dylan's Circa, Self-Portrait, and New Morning, which is exactly well, where we hey. are. The sound of an artist trying to backpedal in a fascinating, sometimes antagonistic way on the gravity that they work so hard to cultivate. Took a vow in summertime Now we find ourselves in late December I believe that New Year's Eve Will be the perfect time for their great surrender But they don't remember Anger wants a voice Voices want to sing Sinners harmonize Till they can't hear anything so very interesting. Um, I recommend it. I, I, I just do. I think it's it's just light. It's breezy. Um, a lot of the rest of the article kind of goes on about how it's it's weird. He's just ha- like happy. Like in happiness doesn't really make for good rock music. Musically, it sounds so much like a back record. Like yeah. the songs that I popped into. The ones that didn't remind, give me Vampire Weekend vibes. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, this is a fucking back song. This yeah. is a back song. This is a back song. I think after six years, that's maybe the tougher go. Because yeah. you're kind of like you kind of just want modern vampires or you want Contra or something. Yeah. I like that they're not giving you the same thing over, but typically that feels better when it's only been two or three years. You know? Right. Cause it's like, okay, this is the next vampire weekend record. We move on. But this is like, man, we've waited so long for this. Yeah. 2013. Yeah. So I like that they didn't give us, you know, force this shit down our fucking throats, but, um, but it is what it is. Too long. Too 50, long. 58 minutes. Yeah. As Tim Berry famously said, he doesn't fuck with albums over 40 minutes long. That's you know, right. Uh, I would say that in general, I'm the same way. You want to under 40 minutes, bad religion. <laughs> Just saying. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, Kelly, this is the part of the episode where we pick next week's song. Dun, dun, dun. I can't wait. You can't wait. I have to wait. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> I haven't, I, I'm bad at doing podcast stuff, apparently. All right, we are deleting Spanish is a Loving Tongue off of our playlist. Goodbye forever. Kelly, we're down to 422 songs. Every time I think we're closer than we are yeah, well, to being we're beneath 400. We're 15 away from 100 songs. That we've done. That we've covered on yeah. this podcast. Wow. Pretty crazy. Wow. That only means 422 more to go. I Kelly, know, one, I know. One out of 422, what you got? 18. Number 18 would have been... I feel like... Number 18 would have been The Ballad of Donald White. So this is uh, not from any record from 1963. Hmm. This would go along with um, the other ballads that he was doing at this time. So it's got a heavy um, Hollis Brown Hollis Brown feel, um, Ballad of Emmett Till feel. Um, but we're not going to do it, so it doesn't matter. We're going to talk about <laughs> it. The correct answer was 223. 223, we're going to Nashville Skyline. Damn it. Damn it. 
tonight. Tonight I'll be staying here with you, which we have actually heard. It's yeah, it's the first song from uh, the Bootleg Series Volume Five. Okay, Rolling Thunder. So sure, which is a great version of that song. Um, but this, uh, obviously, it's a little more countryfied. Yeah, and it's the final song on um, Nashville Skyline. So I definitely remember listening to that. Yeah, this has got a good little history too. I think that there, there's some cool covers out there, hmm. and probably some good live ones. So we'll we'll be back next week for tonight. I'll be staying here with you. Episode 86, Nashville Skyline. Yay. From the Blockhouse. Adios, mi corazón. Oh, bye. I can't stand songs about writing songs. Your album's over 40 minutes long and broke up bands on their third reunion tour. Damn, but we both should have quit at age 24. I got two jobs and a girl back home. Collection agencies calling on my prepaid cell phone. It don't take skill nor luck to never amount to much. But I got miles and miles and miles.